Pickaxe. Welcome to the Review of Death, a Doctor Who podcast, your fortnightly home for all the latest news and reviews of the longest-running science fiction series in the world. Each episode will update you with what's happening in the world of Doctor Who. Is that not the most beautiful Doctor Who logo you have ever seen? Then we'll review an episode from Doctor Who's 60-year history, which we promise will be filled with lots of very serious discussions. This is the definition for Chumbly. Receiving a or taking a now, I was going to say, do Louis through like weird weekends with different doctors. This lady over here just got you to sign her knickers from 1986. Yeah. Does that happen often? Yeah. <laughs> not mm. as often as I'd like. <laughs> <laughs> and if that's not all, we'll have guest presenters, interviews, tier lists, and more. So join us, Matt and Billy, for the review of Death from Pickaxe, a chat about the greatest show in the galaxy. Available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Thanks for dropping into the cast party. Join the cast and crew as they are charmed from their Hollywood film set into the crazy world of Dungeons and Dragons. And action! This is a one-on-one introduction session between Sebastian and the director. The rest of the party was not present for this interaction. Sebastian, you descend the stairs following Valentine. The manor before you was lit by torchlight, candles, etc. It was illuminated in small areas, giving off an atmospheric feel. You could see enough, but details were sometimes hard to determine from afar. Here is much different. It is dark. Valentine continues downward and opens the door at the bottom of the stairs. Don't be shy. Here lies the answer you've been looking for. And he holds the door open for you. I don't really know what kind of answer you could be providing for me. But I guess asking questions doesn't make sense when you can just show it to me. Um, I can't really see. Do you have like torches, lights, anything down here? I tend to prefer the dark. If you have anything you'd like to do, that is fine. If, if, yeah, if you don't mind. Me, no. Though not everything down here appreciates it. Oh, there's more things down here. Okay. Well, I'm gonna just do something real quick so I can see. If we run into anything that it doesn't like the light, just let me know and, and I'll either like move it away or kind of just dim it a little bit, okay? He gives a little smile and looks at you and just... All right. And I will cast Dancing Lights. So I create up to four torch-sized lights within range, making them appear as torches, lanterns, or glowing orbs. In this case, they're going to be like floating iPhones with the flashlight turned on. And as the iPhones come up with their flashlights on, as we're walking, they kind of bob back and forth, like iPhones being waved in a crowd of people at a concert. So you open up to a very dark room. First thing you get as you enter is the smell. It's not great. There are many smells here, but the main one that dominates the area is a sulfur-like smell, almost like rotten eggs. Ugh. 
And then you add that light, and with that added light, you see various things around this room. It's a large room, maybe 50 foot wide, 30 foot long. Got low ceilings here. There are various altars built, each with a sigil on it. A circle, purple outline, dark black inside. The rest of the room has various contraptions. That's the best way you'd describe them. Some even look to be like torture devices. Shackles that would hold someone to a board, tables with leftover blood stains, some stains you can't even tell what they are. They aren't red like blood. Finally, there is a large padlocked cabinet kind of amongst the general craziness of the room. Just nothing here feels organized, and more than that, it feels unkempt. Uh, I, I don't really know if I feel comfortable down here. We're just passing through. This room is no longer used. Don't mind the smell. The uh, area here does not get cleaned often. I guess I understand that. Okay, I guess if it hasn't been used in a little bit, that makes it a little better. This is not the best looking room. I agree. He even takes a moment to look around the room. I had always feared I would end up down here someday. Like someone would take you down here? Yes. My father. This was his room. Not where he would sleep, but he owned it. This was his domain. What did he do down here? I mean, it's kind of obvious, but like, you don't really have to tell me if you don't want to. He paved the way. Ominous. He did it the wrong way, and many suffered for it. But we are not here to suffer. As he looks at you, smile just comes back to his face completely. He was almost stone-faced for a moment speaking about that, but he is that big smile as he looks at you. Shall we continue? Uh, yes, please. You follow him. You still have your lights illuminating the area. There is another small staircase going downwards at the end of this room. And as you get to the bottom, the room opens up. Not as wide this time, but pretty long. There is a central walkway that continues towards another doorway. But on either side of the walkway is a row of coffins. One on either side. Eight coffins total in this room. Seven of which are open. They are large stone coffins, tops pushed off, revealing these velvety interiors. Some still have personal belongings in them, but no bodies. Each coffin is accompanied by a plaque on the wall behind them. Each plaque has a name and cause of death. Each name is a first name, followed by Malathorn. Is this like your grave site for your family? Why are they all open? He looks by and says, Well... They are not unlike you and I, plagued by talent that we couldn't get out into the world. But they were fixed. They no longer have to worry about failing to meet their potential. Oh, so they're like not here anymore? They, they were able to leave? Precisely. So it's kind of like a memoriam kind of thing where you just remember your family instead of, like, having them buried here. He kind of looks at you, 
with a funny face as you say that and goes and reads each of the plaques as he walks through. None of our concern right now, but yes, say a remembrance. And as you're walking, Sebastian, you see a bunch of different names of these plaques. Six of them were carved by someone with the very similar handwriting. They were all names and their cause of death just says Shar's wishes. Two of them at the end, however, look like they were carved by someone else. A man named Gideon and a man named Armand. Those are the ones that are carved differently and with different causes of death. Can I ask how they died? I don't really know who Shar is. I'm sorry if I'm overstepping anything, but I was just... I was just looking at the plaques, and those two at the end are kind of different. They actually have different means of, of passing to them. As you say that, he was continuing on through the room, and he stops in between those last two, and he looks to his left to the one marked Gideon. The cause of death here says, victim to his father's fallacies. And then he looks over to the right, and this is the only closed coffin here. It says Armand, a deserved death. Valentine takes a moment, looks back. You will get to meet Char soon enough. Though I do not believe it was her wishes for them to die. I hope it's not her wish for me to die, too. You have no need to worry about that any longer. I'm sorry for what happened to all your family. I don't know if you get lonely here, but just wanted to pass along my condolences. I miss them. Or at least I did. Other than him, and he puts his hand on the top of the closed coffin that says Armand. Who is that? This is my father. Oh. You care about others, Sebastian. Do you not? My friends, my parents back home, I miss them all like crazy. You do not want them to suffer? Never. I didn't either. But this man, and he taps the coffin, he is the reason for all the other coffins in this room. Oh. And I am the reason for his. Oh. Would you not stop a man who is forcing those you love to suffer or perish? Oh, it's something that Xander keeps saying. Is it like the will of the many is better than the will of the few? I don't remember what the words were. Basically, like, if you want to kill one guy who is planning on killing ten guys, like, that's the better course of action. Because then you're, you're just getting rid of the plague on your family. And potentially others too to me it does not matter about the number it may to you and that is fine i was losing my family and it is ironic in a way his death led me to what he desired i'm so sorry we don't need to keep talking about my family let's continue on after you you continue down some tunnels there are tattered rugs here, empty sconces for torches that aren't there. It looks like this area used to be much nicer. 
potentially ways for servants to get around the manor or something, but long since unused. There are a few bends in the passages, left turns, right turns, some doorways. As you are walking, you see every once in a while a long hallway that extends very far to the point that your light can't even reach to the end to see the end of the hallway. And Sebastian, you are walking, following Valentine as he stops at one very specific area. It is a fork in the passageway. You just finished a hallway, and now there's a long hallway left, a long hallway right, and a blank wall ahead of you. You can see that Valentine is touching the wall here, fiddling with it almost. You're seeing him start to push on one of these blocks of stone in the wall, but then, just then, you begin to hear from down the passage to your left. And it's getting louder and louder and loud pounding footsteps on this stone come closer and closer. And with your light illuminating a bit of this hallway, you see a humanoid monster jumps at you. Oh, completely hairless body, mostly hairless head, only a few long strands still attached, but looking gray and dead. Part of the skin on its skull is pulling away from the fleshy insides. It almost looks like this body has been burnt at one point. The skin all over is white and ashy, its fingernails long and unkempt, but most noticeable, its piercing white fangs. Humanoid teeth with the sharpest canines you have ever seen. This being jumps at you as Valentine stands in the way with his hand up. You were fed yesterday, Helena. He's off limits. Holy shit. And the being stops and it licks its teeth. You can see it even cuts its tongue on its canines and starts to bleed. Darts its eyes to Valentine and back to you and slowly starts moving backward. It almost moves like it doesn't have a stiff spine, moving more on all fours than on just two legs. As it turns around, it jumps onto the wall and begins running back down the dark hallway, this time scurrying along the wall with ease. What the fuck was that? Oh, one moment. And he pushes a block in the wall and then pulls a sconce that's nearby down at the same time. And then he lets go of the sconce, lets go of this block, and it opens up a hidden opening in the wall, leading to another staircase. This one going upward. That was Helena. She was my sister. What happened to her? She's being fixed. You have no need to worry. That will not happen to you. She has suffered much. Sorry if I brought it up and it was uncomfortable. Just panic set in, so... You speaking, Sebastian, it comforts me. Just reminds me you are here. Come. Yeah, uh, go go on. I, I gotta tie my shoe quick. I'm gonna wait until he goes up the stairs a little bit. Don't stay too long. No, right behind you. And you can hear, he seems like he's rifling through his pockets for something. You hear that he's trying to open the door with a key. So what are you doing? I want to take a knee and slip two guitar picks out of my bag. And I want to angle them so the point, one is pointing to the sconce on the wall and the other is pointing at where I assume the brick might have been. 
once they're laying on the floor, pointing in the proper directions, I'm going to make sure they're set, and then I'm going to run up the stairs. And just at the top of the stairs, you can see there's a small landing and a doorway. You can see that Valentine has the key in the lock, and he just takes a second, closes his eyes, and does this really deep breath. This is it, Sebastian. What we both have been dreaming of right here. And he has this huge smile on his face, looks at you with happiness in his eyes, and he opens the door. And you enter a room that already has light in here for you, a nice change of pace from the darkness you just came from. This room is again wildly lavish, though much less busy. It's actually quite empty. There is dark purple carpeting that covers the entire floor as well as the walls and ceiling are dark purple. The room is a full circle, 200 feet or so in diameter, but it's not just a circle. It's more like a donut. The center has a large glass cylinder taking up about half of the room. The ceilings here are high. Inside the glass cylinder goes up about 30 feet or so, and then down another 10 feet or so. And from where you are looking towards the center of the cylinder, it's like you're looking out onto seating, like you're currently on a stage. The inside of this inner circle has dark black chairs all facing outwards, looking up at this lavish room. Other than that, you see just nearby a coffin open, and the only other things you see are two grand pianos directly across from each other, each facing the inside of the circle. The most intimate of all stages. One I had dreamed of for years. And tonight, we put it to use. You and I. A duet. Hell yeah. We will surround the crowd. They will see us both surrounding them. They will rotate slowly and just enjoy the music coming from all directions. Good lord. Like, I always had my dream venue of playing at the Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado, but like, this just blows it out of the water. Holy shit. Well, I hope this will do. This one is yours. I thought it would be perfect for you. And he brings you over to a piano. Sebastian, what's it look like? Ooh, it is just jet black. The bench is the same with a nice black, almost felt cushioned seat and then your typical just row of keys. But yeah, it is like a very jet glossy black. Directly across from you is his piano, and you can see from where you are, it is this ivory white. Gestures you to sit down. I will take a seat at my piano. He puts a hand on your shoulder and just says, this day will change our lives. You will never have to worry or want again. And he gives you a little pat as he starts walking around to his piano. Sebastian is just sitting there. He does the little neck crack back and forth and sits up straight and is just running his fingers along the keys, but not enough pressure to actually push them down. He just wants to get a feel for the piano itself and kind of just take it all in with a little smile on his face. And directly across from you, Vision slightly distorted because there's these two large panes of glass in your way, but you can see Valentine sit at the other piano. 
he does the same thing. He kind of stretches a moment, does the neck crack back and forth, almost not necessarily mimicking you. It looks like this is his natural way of playing. And then, as he looks at you, plays a shattering chord. A chord you haven't heard since your dreams. Instantly, your mind feels like it's being invaded as your vision fades to black. And now we return to the others. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cast Party. My name is Colin McManus, and I will be your director for today. I am joined by my wanting cast and crew, Ryan McManus. Hi, Quinry Silverhands, Malathorn Butler extraordinaire, whose ancestors always had rumors spreading throughout the Malathorn castle of how they got their name. Some even say that the tips of the Silverhands' fingers resembled that of the silver cutlery that the Malathorns preferred to use because they were handling it so often. Quinry has since honored his ancestors by making all of his daggers out of the silver from the cutlery. Whoa. Oh my god. Anna Brisbane. Blueberry Sky Elven Druid actress is a big lover of vegan sushi and a few years ago a vegan sushi restaurant asked her if they could name a role after her and she agreed. However, for some reason, the blueberry roll, which did not include blueberries, did not sell well. So she started to just rack her brain as to how she could name a role that her fans would appreciate and want to try. She considered the sky role, the star role, the best actress role. But after consulting with her psychic, who told her to focus less on herself, she eventually came up with a name that would honor her fans specifically, the fan role which just so happens to be the sponsor of this episode, except instead of sushi, it's super cute dice and D&D accessories. So check them out at fanrolldice.com and get 10% off with the code CASTPARTY. That's fanrolldice.com, F-A-N-R-O-L-L-D-I-C-E.com. And 10% off with code CASTPARTY. <laughs> so good. Nigel Deacon. Who's cleaning? Xander Gucci <laughs> Supreme. Uh, who has a single luxury that he will always afford himself, bidets. He's a strong proponent of that toilet utility, and he believes everyone deserves to have a clean butt. Worst worst thing possible. You are wrong. That you are, like, just objectively you wrong. You guys witnessed my first time using one. I'm sorry, what? Not, not, we were not in the same room. Let's be All clear right. there. <laughs> do not say it like that. I do love the idea that Xander uses, like, thinks all soap is the same. However, he cares about having a bidet, so he's like, I'm gonna be clean mm -hmm. just yeah. in one specific area. Hey, when you walk through the desert that much, you gotta take care of it, you know? Vince Perino. Jet to Boulder Chambers, the uh, hater of all things bidets. So when Jet was born, he was kind of a big kid. So his mom decided to call him Marshmallow growing up until he turned 18 and he got hit one of his very first jobs working at a marshmallow company. Because of this, he would always come home covered in marshmallow. And the name of this company was Malo Inc. His mom would always say, Jet, get that Malo off you. And eventually it turned into Malo, get rid of that. And that's uh, that's the reason why his mom calls him Malo. Cute. Okay. That's adorable. And joining us once again, we have Maisie Lynn. Oh, hello there. Bree's little uh, uh, fun fact is that she's a, she is a fantastic whistler. 
you know, trudging through the wilderness all alone, you, you sometimes it gets a little bit boring, especially if you're stuck in human form for a bit. So her random hyperfocus was becoming a really fantastic whistler to the point where she's able to mimic many different bird calls, much like the seagull girl on uh, TikTok, but just with any variety of bird. Especially because it makes it a lot easier to snack on them if you can speak their language. Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right, everybody, it's been a while, so let's talk about what happened last time. We began with Sebastian and Valentine chatting in Valentine's main hall about desire and wanting. Sebastian was waited on by servers, given chicken strips, and shown a visage of one of his most crowded shows by Umtar, the green dragonborn man. Sebastian brought up that he feared not necessarily death, but not getting to live up to his potential before he died. Valentine said that he had the answer for that. As he brought Sebastian down the stairs, we jumped back to the rest of the group. There, Quinry jumped down from the ceiling, as you did brief introductions. Trying to communicate with Sebastian, you only got a message from Valentine back, who clearly had Sebastian's sending stone. Bray took Xander aside to speak about his lycanthropy, which he did not even know about. You continued down the hallway with Quinry and Bray in front, leaving Celeste and Theodore with a sending stone to look after the partygoers who still danced endlessly to no music. Heading down the hallway, you arrived at a magical library labyrinth of moving bookshelves, one area quite dangerous with a bookshelf like a Venus flytrap, another with a spectrum of different colored books expertly dealt with by a mage hand, and a bookshelf puzzle needing the proper placement of books, one after another. You ended up finding Umtar, who was guarding the door out of the library, projecting an image of Valentine, who spoke to you, saying how much you all desire and want different things, and that he can make sure your desires are rightly placed. You made your way past Umtar by turning him into a tortoise and just moving him slightly out of the way before entering the main hall. Xander got the last chicken strip that was left here and walked right up to the symbol on the wall, pushed it, revealing a staircase going downward into the basement. Now, Bray, you're in the lead, heading down the staircase, descending into darkness. At the bottom of this quite large set of stairs, there is a single door here, no lock above its handle. And so the scene is set. The question is, what will you do next? Um, can I have a, can I have a quick sidebar with you, Bray? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, I'm just going to, like, step aside away from everyone. Hey, is this, is this like werewolf thing something I can turn on? Is that, is that like a switch in my brain that I just go like wolf mode, activate, and then go? Oh, no, 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 no. Unfortunately, you know, when you're just starting off, you're gonna, I hate the word feral, but I'm gonna say feral. Uh, you know, your brain's gonna get filled up with all the, with all the, uh, the wolfy brain, uh, and the moon is gonna kind of be in charge, yeah for those first times. This is around, you know, uh, 50 years of very strict mental discipline, work and understand the wolf, come to terms with it, and find the humanity in the wolf, you know, to be able to trigger it. Also, it's a lot of, like, physical stuff too, making sure that your body's able to handle swapping over to the wolf over and over again, because it can be quite unpleasant. All right, all right, cool, 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 cool. Um, thank you. It's all good, guys. I was just trying to get some more info on, on her opinion of the chicken strip. We, we're good to go. It's so salty. I still don't quite get your obsession with chicken strips. Just eat it whole. It's it's much better. Just eat the whole chicken raw. Maybe not that, but you know. Anyway, 
I'm ready to go in. I mean, I, I feel like we got we just got to hop into it, right? Is there any, I don't know, preparing you can do? Sadly, my expertise stops here. I knew of the basement, and that's pretty much it. I wasn't sure how to get here, what is down here, or anything of the sorts, but I know that my father talked about some necromantic stuff that happened in the basement. Can we prepare for that? Does anyone want to handle the talking? Can Bray do a perception check and, like, put her ear to the door, her wolfy ear to the door, to see if she can hear anything through it? Oh, wait, wait, let me enhance the nature of your hearing, and I cast Guidance. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, uh, thank you! So what does that do? Roll a d4 and add that. Perfect, yes! I love it, thank you. Okay, so that's a two. I hope that was the d4. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that was the d4, sorry, oh my god. Because you sounded way too chipper for a two on the d20. <laughs> yeah, no! <laughs> Uh, do I, can I get advantage because I have wolf ears? If not, totally fine. I will give you an advantage, but you will get more information about Sniff than here. There. That's a much better roll. Okay, so that's going to be a 19, 20, 21. That is a 21. As you are trying to hear on the other side of the door, you get a little closer, put your ear to it. Most of what you're hearing is the servers and stuff above you moving, shifting slightly, cleaning up things. You don't hear anything on the other side of the door. You do smell a rotten smell, almost sulfury, coming from behind this door. Bray's nose wrinkles preemptively. I think she's going to kind of crack her neck and then do like a huh, and then just poof into into the, the wolf form. And she's going to say, I smell sulfur on the other side of the door. So, uh, be ready for some- for some shit. That's not the kind of smell you want to smell in a basement. I don't think it's the kind of smell you want to smell at all. Do you guys need to do anything before going in? Jet? Blue? Quinry? I'm ready, man. I'm gonna cast Guidance on Jet. Just in case you want to do any... smooth talking, maybe this'll help you? Okay. Oh shit, that's a good point. Bray's gonna woof back into fucking human form. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be good cop, bad cop, you know? <laughs> Wait, what's the cop? I think it's good god, bad god. Oh, good executioner, bad executioner. <laughs> what's a good Old executioner? <laughs> good executioner. <laughs> he does his job really well. A good executioner does it in one cut, whereas a bad executioner yeah, actually yeah. takes his time and hacks at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, are we doing this? Uh, yeah. Let's get it. No other way to go. Alright, uh, and she's gonna open the door. Entering through the door, you find a room. It is rather dark. Immediately the others, now that the door is open, you smell that rotting smell as well. This place definitely doesn't feel like it's seen fresh air very often. Those of you with dark vision immediately see a few things. This room has some altars here built in various locations with various adornments on them, though all of them share a single sigil, just like the one that Xander had pushed upstairs, a circle with a purple outline, dark black inside. Surrounding these altars in different areas are mechanical and sometimes magical contraptions. There are shackles that would hold someone strapped to a table, cinders underneath it. Blood stains are on these contraptions in many cases, the last thing you see here is a large padlocked cabinet. 
down this room a bit, there's another doorway leading to another set of stairs that goes downward. It is incredibly dark in here. I don't know who of you can actually see things. I can. Does anyone have a torch of anything? Oh, yeah. And I just touch his dagger and it lights. Whoa! Ow! Oh, why did that hurt so bad? His daggers are really sharp, Xander. That's why it hurts so bad. <laughs> Don't just slam your finger onto daggers. I do pride myself on my craftsmanship of all of my daggers, so thank you. Uh, yeah, no problem. It's very touching. Something you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> He's just sucking on his finger like, I had to see. I had to see for myself. <laughs> <laughs> Does the padlock look like it's like a got a key situation? Yes. Are we still abiding by your rules of get there as quick as possible, or would you like to potentially do a little bit of searching of this room? These contraptions are interesting, but also kind of concerning. Yes, this doesn't bode well for your friend. Oh. A lot of these altars, they look like they have different items on them. They look very similarly crafted. With a general look, you can see that probably the same person made all of them. The items on them are different. A lot of them almost feel like they have a necromantic energy to them. Some of the contraptions nearby, you see one, which is basically a table on a slight angle that has shackles for arms and legs, and it has old cinders underneath them. As you're looking, you see that there are like different stains on this table that don't look like blood could be that something else or someone was injected with something here. And as you're looking around, you feel what seems like some sort of magical essence or presence in this whole room concentrated in that cabinet. So if anybody wants like more insight into the, I guess, darkness of this room, you're going to want to look in the cabinet. I'm on it. There's no way in hell that I'm touching it. I got you. Don't worry. Check for traps. I'm going to break the guidance from Jet so you don't have that anymore and give it to Xander. Here, good luck. If you need a spare hand, just let me know. Do I see any traps or anything or anything that could be trapped? Give me investigation. 22. It looks like a very normal lock. Like it would be relatively easy to pick if you took a lot of time with it. You do notice that there is a string attached to the lock on the inside. With some looking, you actually are able to even open the cabinet just a little bit, enough to almost give it a little bit of room so you can see. It looks like this string is not attached to a harming trap, but rather you see a small bell mm. at the top of this cabinet. Good thinking on the traps, y'all. There's a little like alarm bell in there. Does it look like if we cut the string, would that be the thing that would make it jingle? Is that like how the contraption is? It probably would not go off. Since I'm able to see the bell, is it possible to just hold it with the mage hand? Like, can I make the mage hand inside and hold it? Just to make sure, I'll still try and, like, get everything there, but I feel like that's, like, the that's the easy way to hold on to it for a second. So I'm going to mage hand that, and then I'll try and lockpick the lock. I'm okay with this. Yeah. Give me a roll. And you've got guidance. Nearly rolling max on all of this. I was off by one point for getting my maximum, so I'm at... 29 okay. with the guidance. <laughs> you're using one hand. You you really thought you would need to use your two hands, but you're holding the one hand with the mage hand on the inside, and you're able to just crack it with one hand, completely open it. You see this little bell. You're able to untie it, and you're able to open the cabinet. 
And inside you find a plethora of different oddities, ritualistic flowers, a lot of it decayed here, as well as a lot of books. A few catch your eye. The two books that really look interesting, they look like they've been rifled through a lot. You see a book from the Followers of Shar, as well as another book that does not have any title or name on it. It is just a bound book. It looks like a journal. I'm going to take both and turn around, hold them up to Jet and say, pick one and do like a, you know how to read, right? Uh, I've read a book once before, yeah. I'm going to turn to Blueberry and say, can you pick one book? <laughs> and <laughs> I'm going to read, I'm going to rifle through real quick. I hate reading. Uh. I'm going to turn to Quinry. <laughs> can you pick one book? <laughs> you, know, you know how to read, right? I read from time to time. All right. You've given the best answer. How is it so hard? I'll pick left. All right. So that's the one with, that doesn't have any, that looks like a journal. And I want to just rifle through real quick. I will, uh, I'll flip through, through my book too while he's doing his. We are less than 10 patrons away from our next big Patreon stretch goal. So if you want to see our lovely Jet Chambers, aka Vince Perino, throw on some incredibly short shorts and film a D&D themed workout series called Sweat with Jet alongside IRL Sebastian and Xander, you need to head on over to patreon.com slash castparty. Sweat with Jet is the perfect way to stay in shape from the comfort of your own home. Not really, we're not licensed physical trainers, we're just here to have some fun and make some goofy videos, but like, they'll still be decent workouts if you want to do them. So be sure to join the cast and crew over at patreon.com slash castparty for ad-free episodes, exclusive behind-the-scenes goodies, hilarious monthly one-shots, access to our community Discord, and so much more. And yes, be sure to join the Discord while you're there. It is home to the greatest community this side of the TTRPG world. We host live listening parties with all of us for every single cast party episode, community-driven D&D games, live streams, hangouts, and game nights. Patreon.com slash castparty. We hope to see you there. Thank you all so much for listening. Enjoy the episode, cast and crew. Xander, you have the followers book. Quickly, you read, and obviously, Char is some sort of goddess. And this is her history, as well as some annotations from followers of hers. You see, there's a ton of annotations in the side of this book. Like, someone was obsessed with this. Reading through every single line, underlining, crossing out, like, rewriting whole sentences in, like, what they believed was the right wording. But what you really get from this is that Char was particular about who she would bestow powers onto. The reasons she gives her power are generally unknown, even to her followers. It has been stated that she did not care for the more moral issues of the mortal people. The reasoning behind her giving her power is a mystery that her followers are trying to solve. Some say she only gives powers to those who vow to stay in the darkness forever, to never seek fame or fortune, and who will only do her bidding. Others say that she has no bidding to be done in the mortal realms. She sees the material plane and its inhabitants as nothing more than entertainment. If you can amuse her, she may give you her powers. As you're reading through, you see that it seems that a lot of the time she is referred to as the singer of eternal night. Quinry, you have a journal. The first page is 
unsettling for you. Written on the front page, Armand Malathorn, your old boss, the father of the Malathorns. And you can see that this is very much his handwriting. You've had to deal with it quite often. And it might even be more unsettling knowing that this is probably the place that your father found the book that made him want to leave. It's this large purple book with a black circle, dead center. As you start reading, it is much less a diary and much more a logbook of different experiments. He has listed procedures, things that have happened in this very room. One such procedure was done on a Trina Malathorn, who was Armand's wife. She was strapped to a table and leeches were placed all over her skin. The leeches were starved and never exposed to sunlight and then blessed in a ritual to Char. Armand hoped that Char could use the leeches to take whatever she wanted from Trina's body, to take away her imperfections, to make her the perfect vessel for Char's power, to grant immortality. From the notes, it is hard to tell exactly what happened, though it seems Trina was left with the leeches on her body, something was happening to her skin from the wounds, potentially an infection, and she passed away a few days later. Another log you read is very similar, this time Helena Malathorn. She's the daughter of Armand and Trina. She was strapped to the same table. This time, instead of leeches, flames were placed underneath her. Armand believed ridding Helena of her fear of death by having her experience it firsthand would make her the perfect vessel for Char. She perished in the flames. Armand believed Char would bring her back so she could continue on into infinity, though she never did. This journal has numerous such entries as this. They were all Malathorns. All the rituals were trying to appease Char. All of them included some form of trying to seek eternal life. When I said earlier that this room does not bode well for your friend, I really, really think that now. This book is, speaking of the previous Malathorns who I used to work for, and all of the heinous rituals that they have done on each other, including testing, leeches, burning, all for the sake of immortality. This is not good. Oh! So what you're saying is we, we gotta start moving. Quickly. Okay. The book is, however, written in the handwriting of Armand, who is Valentine's father, he is no longer with us. I don't know if Valentine is continuing on his procedures that Armand was working on, or what, but flashy one, that symbol that you shoved your hand into wildly, that is the symbol of Shah, which I think you have a book for right now in your hand. Yeah, yeah, I got that. That's right here. Alright, so based off of what we've seen here, we do have to be moving, but I do want to like ask you guys make sure that we're all on the same page about what's coming next. If this guy is doing his daddy's work, he's probably a bad dude and we probably should put a stop to it. Do we want to make some sort of decision now about whether or not we're cool with him being dead? What if we, you know, just incapacitate him and then turn him in to authorities and he could be, you'd know. We had authorities once in Hazelrest, and they're all here. Who's to say this won't happen again? Well, we'll, f- we'll free them, and then we can get things back on track. Listen, Xander, I I know we've, we've had a lot of talks about this in the past, but we're gonna do everything we can not to kill him, but if it comes between 
his life or Sebastian's, I think you know the choice we're going to have to make in the end. Yeah, if it's if there's no choice, sure, but we could if we have the option of knocking him out, go for it. We're the options. We always have options. Blueberry, I'm, my question is, what do you do after the unconscious wears off? Oh, we figured that out. He needs to be locked up somewhere. One more thing. We got to also think about what if he's got like a hold on Sebastian and we have to fight him? If we have no option, then we knock him out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not going to kill Sebastian. We just but, incapacitate like... him. I can I can put a hold person on Sebastian. Like, we could just try to stop him from doing things. There's no choice. Sebastian is coming back with us. Obviously. Absolutely. I just, I wanted to mention it so that everyone's, like, mentally prepared for fighting our friend, if it comes to that. Sebastian is a bit of a force on his own. He's got this, like, magic spear thing that he shoves into people's heads and it just makes them like the equivalent of a goopy puppet. He's he's just a little guy. We we can take care of Sebastian, no problem. It'll be okay. Oh, I'm gonna let him know you said that, buddy. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> How dare you? Well, I'm you know what? I'm gonna break through Sebastian before you can get to him. Okay. Alright. Well, we'll see about that. Sebastian's our friend. He he will break out of this. Alright. Well, I'm gonna put that book in my bag, the Shar one. Sounds like some fun reading for the trip back. I'm I'm ready. You guys ready to do this? Sure. I'm going to give another guidance to Jet. Right behind you. We have to help Hazel rest, and we have to get our people back. So if that means helping your friend as well, I'm right here. Hell yeah. You continue down these stairs, and you open up into a simple room. There's a central pathway that cuts the room in half, and on each half of the room, there are four coffins. Eight in total. Seven of them are opened. The coffins are made of stone with their tops pushed off of them. Each of the coffins has a plaque on the wall behind them, which includes a name. They are all Malathorns, as well as a cause of death. Quinry, you quickly realize that you recognize almost all of these names, specifically the ones that you just read about. Helena and Trina. The open coffins have little inside them. They have nice velvety interiors, pretty luxurious. Some still have like little personal belongings. And then the only other thing you notice here is that there's only one coffin that is closed and that most of these plaques seem like they were carved by one person. And then two of them at the end for a Gideon and Armand seemed like they were carved by someone else. What's the name of the one that's still closed? Armand. Oh, so icky dad. As you're investigating, you see that most of these have the same cause of death. Shar's wishes. Wow, uh. that's fucked up. The only two that do not are Gideon and Armand. What are those causes? Gideon's says, victim to his father's fallacies. Oh. Armand says, a deserved death. Oh, whoop. Ooh. Do any of these look like they were disturbed recently? Give me investigation. That's 11. It's really hard to tell. It's dark down here. Yeah, you have the light from Quinry's dagger now, but it is very hard to tell. Just looks like that there were bodies here once. The two that are closed. There's only one closed. Oh, there's one closed. Okay. Just Armand's. Can I go up to that one and just see if it's locked closed or not? It is not. Can I do a good sniff to see if I can maybe smell 
if there's anything going on in here. Give me a perception with advantage. While Jet goes over to look at Armand's, Quinry would have been opposite him and just kind of sighing sadly at the sight of Gideon's coffin and just an exasperated, like, <sighs> Quinry, you were, you were actually pretty good friends with Gideon. You had, had known them a long time. You were kind of assigned to them to help clean their room, assist them whenever needed. You know that Gideon preferred building like small contraptions and toys made out of wood. He was very handy. And you can see there is a small wooden catapult he had created. He used it to fling food into his sister's mouths from afar. You can see that it is in his coffin. Quinry will just admire it and give a two pat on the stone and walk back to the group. That um, investigation check with the with the sniffer is 19. There is definitely decay here. There's definitely death. These coffins are not just for show. There were things in them at one point, and they were dead. You also smell the scent of Sebastian. Sebastian was definitely in this room recently. Okay, so your friend Sebastian was, was definitely in here. Also, there is a smell of undeath in this room, which, take that as you will. As she says that, that's going to make me try to open up the one in front of me for the father. Just just enough to peek in. I, I don't know how hard it would be to look into the casket, the coffin or anything. These are like big stone caskets, so you wouldn't actually lift up. You would more like push it to the side. The tiniest bit, just enough to basically peek. And as I'm peeking in, I just want to try to sense as much as I can in there. Try to gain as much info as I can. I'll be using my divine sense. With your natural strength, you are able to push this off to the side, and you see a body inside. Somewhat recent, starting to decay. And you use your divine sense. You feel celestial and fiend from Xander. You do not sense any undead. Okay. Does it look like I could tell how it died? It's unsightly. It smells worse now than it did previously. The skull is caved in. Ooh. Noticing that, I'll just close the coffin back up. All right. I just had to make sure. Are you guys ready? We gotta, we gotta keep going. Quinry, do you know the way from here? This basement is a mystery to me. I've never been down here before. I'm assuming just forward. Bright, with your really good perception check, you can actually feel like you have Sebastian set. <gasps> I can track the boy. Okay, cool. Ray is going to sniff and she's going to say, Okay, I've got a lock of your friend's scent. You know, if you just want to follow that, retrace his steps. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go stealthy. At least try. Sounds good to me. Oh, yeah. Tiptoe, tiptoe. Should I extinguish the light for Quinry if we're sneaking? Uh, yes, if we're going quietly, should I, uh, we get rid of this? I wave the dagger in Xander's face. Ah, ah, and just disappears. Oh, okay. Uh, Do you want to like... Hold my hand. I don't. All right, can you see? Please. Why don't you all roll me stealth? 21. 27. Oh, that's a 16. I also got a 16. 11. Do I get guidance with this or no? Yes. Yeah, okay. 13. Bray, you are taking initiative, getting in the lead. It's again very dark, but you can see decently far. You see a long hallway in front of you. There are some offshoots here and there. You can see a door coming up on the right, and then another door coming up on the left just beyond it. 
and across from that is another hallway. But you can see that this hallway generally continues further down before turning. Just from where you are, you can already smell Sebastian has gone down this hallway. Bray is just going to keep following Sebastian's scent, honestly. You do so. The rest of you following behind Quinry and Jet needing a little bit of assistance to not walk into walls. Once you get to the end of this hallway, you have to turn left and it's like another quick right. There's again a couple doors and you finally get to where the scent seems to stop. You're at a fork in the hallway. There is a hallway going left and a hallway going right. Xander, you can actually see the end of these hallways. The left seems like it's pretty far and there's just a single door down there. And the right looks like it goes pretty far and then turns again. Ray. You're in front. Give me a perception check. This is a sight perception check, so I don't know if you have advantage on this. So I actually do have my magic item is is Knave's Eye Patch, which does grant me advantage to uh, sight based perception rolls. I got two eights. You feel that Sebastian's scent stops here for a moment, and you can actually tell that the scent is more concentrated towards the ground. And as you're standing here, you guys hear from the hallway to your right. Quinry! Quinry! Those of you with 120 feet of dark vision or more, you can see a young teenager here. It's hard to tell in the darkness, but they are very rigid as they stand at the end of the hallway. Quinry, is that you? Flashy one, who is calling my name? Um, a really still teenager. Don't trust it. Don't trust it. And with that, Quinry, you do recognize that this is Gideon's voice. When the voice registers in my head, you can feel Quinry's grip get, like, really tight on your hand. Uh, flashy one, that is Gideon. He should be dead. Long dead. We need to move. Immediately. Come on, Quinry! Not that way. Xander, you see that he ducks into a different hallway, and you can hear laughing. (laughs) I don't like this. Follow me! To the left! (laughs) (laughs) Can I see if I can smell Sebastian's scent at all? He's been around me enough. Give me perception with advantage. Fifteen. As Bray points out that he was on the ground or something, you notice that on the ground are two guitar picks. Oh, all right. Well, I got to pick those up. Were they pointing direction? Oh. Or is he just scattering guitar picks like little breadcrumbs? Yeah. Is that, Do we see, are there more in either direction? Just two. There's no like secret door in the floor or anything, right? So there's a hallway to our left and our right. Is it just a wall in front of us? Like, did we come to a T formation? You came to a T formation. And Xander, with the guitar picks, you did notice, not pointing directly at the wall, but they were like pointing crisscross towards the wall. Can I feel the wall and see if there's anything funky going on with it? Give me investigation. Quinry, come on! That is an 18. You do find a brick that you can push in. And as you push in, you hear something behind it but nothing else happens. And as you're looking down and you've already picked up the guitar picks, but you do know that one of these guitar picks looks like it was pointed at this brick. Oh, where was the other one pointing? One of them was pointing at the brick. The other one was pointing at... 
you do see an empty sconce here that does pull down. So you're currently pushing in on one, pulling down on the other. Quinry, come on! We need to move quickly. Please go. Fuck that thing. Does it feel like it moves in either direction? So you pulled it downward, and it feels like the only way it would go back is upward. Bray understands this isn't her thing, and she's going to just keep her eyes on Gideon. Yeah, Quinn, were you doing okay, bud? I would very much like to get out of this hallway as quickly as possible. Please let me know if he comes any closer. Yeah, Bray's going to put herself in between Gideon and Quinry, by the way. Noticing Quinry kind of getting nervous, I'm going to send Charlotte's protection his way. We're missing something. There's got to be... Is there anything on the ceiling? Chandeliers or lights? Other sconces? Nothing behind us. This is the only things you have found that have moved, and he just has one pushed in and one pulled down. Maybe this unlocked the door or something. That's what I'm thinking. Like, this might, maybe this isn't the door. It's more like, this is like the unlocking mechanism for something else. If I let go of things, do they stay there? As you let go of one, it starts to retract. Okay. Hmm. Did you try, like, pulling the sconce and then pushing? Uh, yeah, maybe I'll switch it up. Sconce first, then push it. So you're currently pushed and pulled down right now. So what are you letting go of? I'll, I'll let go of the the brick first and then the sconce so that they both kind of reset. And you hear from behind the wall. Oh. Oh, no. Uh Oh. From the left, you hear the door start to open. And from the right, you hear, I told you to follow, Quinry! Xander, from the left... You see the door open, and you see a being standing here. Xander's the only one who can see this. He's the only one who has long enough dark vision. It is completely ashen gray. Face and body, like flesh, was boiled off of it. Completely hairless, only a few strands of long gray hair coming down the head. And it looks at you. It's got these gnarled fingernails. From here, you can see piercing white fangs. As from the ceiling and the walls, more of these beings starts coming down this hallway quickly at you. Oh, shit. There's at least five, six of them, and they're dashing towards you. Oh, shit. Everyone, down the right hall. Follow Gideon. Uh, Yeesh. What's going on? Just go. Bray uppies. (laughs) Can Bray snatch Quinry from Xander and just bolt? Can I cast a spell as I run? I like to cast Moonbeam just so that it fills the hallway behind us. As we're running, light, please, light, 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 light. I touch his robe and that starts glowing because I don't want to touch the dagger. (laughs) Blueberry casts Moonbeam as the rest of you run to the right down the hallway. It's a couple like quick turns as you're running towards. (laughs) Come on, Quinry. God, this is a terrible idea. Uh, (laughs) You turn this final corner, you're rushing in and you see the young boy, Gideon, inside a circular room. Is there a door? There is not. It's a dead end. This room is filled with chairs of dark black. They all face outward from the center, facing towards the walls. 
Just 10 feet above you, the walls all around this room are made of glass, looking into a luxurious room. Walls and ceiling a dark purple. The room is rather empty, save for two pianos looking down upon the empty seating. Sebastian seated at one, Valentine at the other. Gideon's face is illuminated more than before. You can see his face completely gray, no life left in his skin, eyes dark. From above, you hear Valentine. Hmm. Not the audience I was expected. The others will be here soon. From the Sending Stone, you hear Celeste. Problem, problem. Uh, the dancers all stopped, and they're all gathering together and moving deeper into the manor. They're talking about a show? And from behind you in that hallway, you can hear the hissing noises as the beings are moving quickly towards the entrance. As you guys are sitting here, you hear Gideon. I'm sorry, Quinry. As Gideon gives a large smile again, bearing bright white fangs. And from the hallway, you see the creatures crawl along the walls and they come into the room and start surrounding you in this large glass cylinder you are in. And you all see Sebastian. He looks completely out of it, just staring at a glass wall in front of him, smiling. He's in front of an ornate black piano and directly across from Valentine at an ornate white piano. I'm gonna just grab my hammer with two hands. I'm actually going to spew a little bit of fire along the whole thing in my hands. It just starts to glow a little bit. I'm using my channel divinity to make a sacred weapon out of it and just look towards Quinry. Quinry, what the fuck are these things? Test subjects. Are the chairs in this room made of wood? Yeah. Bray's immediately gonna take one and smash it on the ground and make four wooden stakes from the, from the legs of the chair. Toss one to each party member. You smash one on the ground as these beings, heads turning more than they should on the walls, bright white fangs, all of them start hissing at you. But Sebastian, you hear a loud as a chair breaks. And with that, Sebastian, you're on stage. Not with your friends in the audience, but a largely ornate concert hall. You are on stage with Valentine. Two pianos, one on either side of the stage, a completely sold out show. Audience clapping and cheering. You've just finished your performance. Valentine holds your hands as you both bow, and he looks you in the eyes in this dreamlike state. This is what you want, to be able to perform forever. I can make you this way, forever. You will have eternal happiness, eternal life. As you hear from the crowd, you look over and it's Bray. Give me a wisdom saving throw. Oh shit. Oh shit. Everyone roll initiative. I, uh, All right. I wanted cool, to do cool, some cool, stuff cool. before we did. Actually, Sandra, do you want an action? So can you remind me of what this room looks like? Like we're kind of in the center. It's basically a giant donut and you guys are in the hole. There's glass walls in between you and like Sebastian and where Valentine is. It's about a hundred foot diameter and you're facing outwards, but there's all this seating here. All right, fuck it. Yeah, I'm gonna jump right out to Sebastian. Can I far step out to them? Roll initiative, let me know. And then Sebastian will go through your wisdom save after that. I got an 18 for initiative. 17 for Jet. 
14. 15. Uh, Quinry, Dirty 20. Sebastian, 16. Sebastian, what was your wisdom saving throw? I have a question. How much consciousness would Sebastian have gained from that chair breaking and seeing Bray? Is it split second or is it, hey, what's going on? Then back into it. You only see Bray, but you see her passing out stakes. She looks ravish and she's in her werewolf form. And when you look back to Valentine, he looks different. It's enough to know that something's weird's happening and oh shit, why am I in this weird concert hall? That's all I needed. I am using my last lucky point. Dirty 20. <gasps> Ooh. Sebastian, you hear that chair. You look out upon the audience and there are rows of rows of people smiling at you. But then there's Bray. You just slowly start to see these zombie-like undead humanoids crawling along the walls. You see a weird halfling on Bray's shoulders. You see Blueberry and Jet. You look back to Valentine. His smile is still pristine as ever, but large fangs extrude this time. And you see small tendrils of black, almost mist. They come from the people in the stands, all of them, towards Valentine. And as you're looking at him in this dreamlike state, he almost looks to age wrinkles showing before a misty tendril comes from one of the front row audience members. They begin looking ill, but don't stop clapping and smiling. And as the mists come toward Valentine, it looks like his skin is inflating itself, giving it more bounce, more youth. He still holds your hand smiling. Sebastian, you are no longer charmed. <sighs> We'll start in Sebastian's mind. You're on the stage alone with Valentine. You're hearing music around you now, which doesn't make sense. Nobody's playing an instrument here. It's got a style of play that you know is just how you learned from your father. Your body, you can tell, is still playing music that you are hearing now, even if your mind is trapped in this location. And as you think on those notes, you can even change the notes being played. You are in control of yourself. You see Valentine. You see this terrible being as he recoils away from you. But you're at an instrument that you're proficient in. You have a spellcasting focus. And you see as Valentine recoils. Not like this. Ooh, so I'm like almost sleep paralysis state. And the rest of you are hearing music from both of the pianos. Just a reminder, you are all in a large glass cylinder, essentially. Looking up, you can see and now hear music that is being played by Valentine as well as Sebastian. Beautiful piano notes. Once in a while, a powerful chord that shakes the entire cylinder. You are being surrounded slowly by these crawling monsters all around. There are seven in total if you include Gideon. As the music starts, you see the whole room start slowly spinning so every seat can get a good view of all of the different portions of the stage. The whole area is filled with a bunch of these stairs. The entire area is difficult terrain. I have 25 movement speed. Well, you got 10 now, so. God oh no. <laughs> when you're looking at these different vampire zombies, there are two with brown eyes, two with green eyes, two with blue eyes, and one who is Gideon. So, Blueberry with Moonbeam. 
just for ease of use, I'm gonna say you hit him with the moonbeam twice, all of them. Okay. Let's go. Get on. Yes. <laughs> they roll a constitution saving throw. Would you rather me roll one for all of them or like half? Uh, half. Just roll one per color. That's a 22. Save. That's a 12. Fail. 14. Fail. So 13 radiant damage total. Oh, it's radiant damage. And then six to whoever saves. Yeah, it's radiant. Oh. Well, 13 is the one round and then 13... Well, I think I should re-roll. We re-roll everything the next one. For the second round, six and 15. Okay, those fail. And a dirty 20. Saves. Well, it's only five radiant this time, so. Yeah, only five. Do any of them die? Uh, no. Damn. Damn. <laughs> they are burning alive. Let's oh, go. <laughs> I love that for them. Okay, so we're gonna run this in two initiatives, not in Sebastian's head and then the in Sebastian's head but we're gonna start in Sebastian's head. So Sebastian, you're up first. You are on stage looking at this man. You feel like this commanding presence he had where he was so smiley and happy is completely gone. You see these other Malathorns attacking, but you're on a different stage completely. You can see them like attacking your friends, but you're looking at him. He looks betrayed by you almost, and you can see that he bears claws so you're about 20 feet away from him right now. You do not have any of your equipment, but physically you're at a piano. Seeing this different form in front of me who I just thought was someone that I admired and was, was friends with, I'm going to start changing up the piano notes. It is going to be a piano version of Rob Zombie's Dragula. Yes! <laughs> Casting Rowlethim's Psychic Lance at Valentine. At fourth level. Get up. An intelligence saving throw of 17. That is a 10. He fails. Nice. He's going to take 76, and he is incapacitated until the start of my next brain turn. Ooh. <laughs> Holy cow. That is 26 psychic damage, and he is now incapacitated. You see that he is shocked. He's, like, expecting you to come with him, to be this protege. He wanted to turn you into what he is. He wanted to use you. But in this case, he has no option. You hit this chord that he's never heard before. He hears this melody around him. He's losing control. He freezes. Sebastian, he can't really move, but you see he's kind of got like that stank face on as he like tries to mount or like lip sync freaking Dragula. Xander, you actually see you've appeared next to Sebastian he doesn't seem to have noticed you, and you hear that he's playing something much different than he was just two seconds ago. I'm trying to bob my head the best mm, I can. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> We're going back because that was Valentine's turn in the mind. So we are set. We are back to reality inside the circle. You see that the two vampire zombies who are still in the doorway, they're like the last ones to have come in. They're the ones with green eyes, and they just and you can see that they basically are running over top of the chairs like it's nothing. Bray, these are going to surround you, both of them, on either side. The first one makes a claw attack at you. That is a 23 to hit. That'll hit. You see these claws go after you, and instead they grab onto your fur and pull you in. You are now grappled. Oh, Whoa. fuck. And as their second attack, they're going to make a bite attack. That is a dirty 20 to hit. Yeah, I'm getting fucked up. Okay, 
you're taking six piercing damage. Okay. Two necrotic damage. Okay. And your hit point maximum is reduced by that two. Oof. Wow. By the two necrotic. And now that you're grappled, the other one that surrounded you instead goes for your shoulders, where one Quinry is. Oh, no. Oh, shit. Not, you're not, right. Not the uppies. Not the uppies. That's only a nine to hit with the first claw attack. That is going to miss. I jumped to her other shoulder. You jumped to the other shoulder. You can see that this thing is trying to grab you just like Bray. Second attack, though, is a 16 to hit. Oh, that just hits. You have the you have plus two with the shield, remember? It doesn't hit. Shit, yeah. get him. Mm -hmm. It grabs for one shoulder. You jump to the other. It still has the other hand just ready to go. But just at that moment, the shield comes in between the hand and it kind of bounces off. Perfect play, big one. That is the blue one's turn. These two are gonna surround Jet. First one is a 22 to hit you, Jet. Yep. You are now grappled. This thing again, instead of clawing at you, just grabs you by the neck and you can see they show those fangs. That is a natural 20. Yo. Okay. Damn. 12 piercing damage, 14 necrotic damage. Oh my God. And your hit point max is reduced by 14. Oh boy. So that was the first one to attack you. The other one goes right for you as well, Jet. This one just keeps slicing. Ooh, even with advantage, that's only a 17, and that's not going to hit you. Nope. That is a natural 19, so that will definitely hit you. Mm, yeah. So you're taking eight slashing damage. Now we're at the lair action. So the lair action is going to happen whether Valentine is incapacitated or not but I'm just flavoring it as it's him playing the piano doing this. You do hear that all of a sudden there's a walk up the piano from Valentine. Someone roll me a D4. That's a one. Nothing happens immediately. Oh, fuck. I don't like that at all. Quinry, you are up. You are uppies. Uppies. <laughs> the one who grabbed Bray, I'm gonna grab whatever hair is potentially left of said individual take the dagger, spin it around backwards, and try to get it, like, almost right in its cheek. Thanks, Quinn. Liquid core, fan roll dice, nat 20, baby. Hell yeah. Ooh. So let's do 2d4. That is three, four, nine piercing damage, and let's roll 10d6 for my sneak attack. Thank you. You can add an extra d6, so in this case, 2d6, because you're using a silvered weapon. Oh my god. Ooh. Hot damn. Holy fuck. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I I grab the the vampire. Yeah, you get to narrate hair. this. It's dead. Oh yeah. <laughs> I I grab, I chop right inside the cheek as the flesh just rips open, and I take it right down the throat. 48 sneak attack damage. Oh my god. <laughs> That is insane. You do this and it rips open and the flesh doesn't bleed a whole lot as this body falls to the ground. It doesn't Ooh. even make it all the way there before it puffs. I feel we are doing this in my past employers, but let's go, Bray. You are no longer restrained, Bray. Cool. Which employer was that, can I ask? We'll say that's Cassius. He was a sweetheart, sorry. Can I Can I use bonus action hide in Bray's fur? <gasps> <laughs> because you just destroyed this thing? Yes. 31. 
<laughs> oh my god! You've like Shit. burrowed into me. <laughs> I'm just gonna snuggle into her back and just kind of make it like I'm, like I'm shimmying into a shag rug. Quinry, is that the end of your turn? That is it for me. Xander, you are up and Jet, you're on deck. Okay, so what am I seeing outside of there, like out there? Like I'm next to Sebastian, and what do I see with him? And what do I see with uh, Valentine? Valentine looks up at you while he's playing, but he doesn't stop playing. You can almost tell he feels like he's almost giving orders through his music for his family to attack. Sebastian is right next to you and he is vibing. And you're hearing, like you even recognize this song. You might not know its name, but like Sebastian's playing what he wants to, which just a second ago, he wasn't. He does not acknowledge you. He looks like he's still not necessarily in a trance, but he is almost just in the zone playing. Mm, okay. Would it be an action to shake him? I'll call that a use an object. He's kind of an object right <laughs> wow. now. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. So, uh, any sort of reaction from shaking him? You don't get a reaction from the body. Though, Sebastian, you actually feel like you're being shaken. And Xander, do you say anything? Man, if you are, like, in control right now, please give me some sort of sign. And Sebastian, you actually hear that. You don't see Xander anywhere, but you hear that. Sebastian stops playing Dragula and instead <laughs> thinks to himself and goes, do, 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 do. <laughs> oh, all right. Back into Dragula. <laughs> back into Dragula. <laughs> he like looks back over at the donut hole and sees that people are getting kind of fucked up and Valentine's too far away for me to do anything, so he just far steps back in. Bonus action. I'll go in there towards the side of a wall that's like away from everything, if that's possible. So that's my bonus action. As an action, I will cast Sacred Flame on Gideon. That is a deck save? Yes, please. 24. Oh. Okay. Then nothing happens. Jet, you're up. Blueberry, you're on deck. One has grappled you. The other one is like just slicing at you while you're being held. So as, as I get grappled and bit or whatever the hell he did to me, I'll kind of like ride back in pain and try to catch my balance. And as I do, my feet kind of smack each other. As a bonus action, that's going to activate my uh, boots of speed. Let's go. Get the fuck off. And as that happens the flames they get bigger and brighter and it just gets so bright that it explodes and these flames kind of wisp around in a 30 foot radius around me as these little wisps of flame kind of stay around me you guys can feel a little bit of like warmth inside of you that's my turn what does that mean all of your companions other than xander are in that right now blueberry you're up bray you're on deck Sadly, this is going to drop the moonbeam, but uh, I'm going to grab one of the gems on my necklace, which is a peridot, and I take my staff, and I roughly trace the shape of a dragon head onto the side of the staff, and it just glows a bright, like, peridot green. I'm going to raise the staff up in the air and slam it down on the ground and say, in druidic, soli strepe devandore. And cast Summon Draconic Spirit. Yo, what oh the fuck? God. Holy Whoa. shit. So a large peridot dragon is going to just 
with a bright green light sort of emerge from the staff. I told it in Druidic to slay the undead, so it's going to angle in the best way it can to use a 30-foot cone breath weapon to get as many of them as possible, preferably next to Jet. This will hit allies, correct? Yeah, so whatever the best cone is to not hit allies. You could hit three of them as well as Jet, or you could have it stay pretty close to Jet and hit the two that are still on the wall without hitting anyone. How's Jet's dex? (laughs) (laughs) He gets advantage because of the shield master. Yeah, I I get advantage. Okay, then we're going, it's going to hit Jet also. And Okay, so it will hit both of the blue ones and the green one. First, it's actually going to take its rend attack, which I assume is like its claws. It has two rend attacks and one breath weapon attack each round. God damn. Holy shit. Jeez, man. So, the ones closest... That's the one that is currently grappling Jet. Yeah, so it's going to rend that one. It's going to ha slash. 28 to hit. Ooh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> and then that'll just... Oh, max damage. 15 piercing damage. Okay, and you're taking that second attack on that one as well? Yes. 18 to hit. That hits. 10 piercing. It is still alive, looking very rough. So then it's a deck save, which I'm sure they will pass with flying colors, but let's see. First one is only a 12. Ha ha. The second one is only a 12. Ha ha. And the third one is a 15. Fail. Oh, shit. Okay, well, it's only four, but it is radiant damage as this blast of bright green light explodes from this crystal gem dragon. You completely destroy the one that you had just hit with those two wrens, the one that was grappling Jet. Nice. I only got a 25. Oh, so you you take two radiant damage. Oh, if actually... If I pass, then I don't take anything. Let's go. You got to really accentuate the actually. Come on. Actually. 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 I've never been so happy to be corrected. I still have a bonus action. So bonus action. (laughs) I'm going to, uh, again lift the staff up in the air, close my eyes, and slam it down so hard on the ground that any pieces of dirt in the air like pop up and just swarm around me. And they like grow and multiply and then I wild shape into an earth elemental. Whoa. Oh my God. Okay. 30 feet of movement um, turned into 15. I will move away from whatever, unless there's an opportunity attack. You are not within any range. You can actually get to right next to Xander, who is off to one of the sides. Bray, that is your turn. So I think she's going to use two of the spears. She's also going to do reckless attack. I can decide to attack recklessly, and doing so gives me advantage on melee weapon attack rolls. But attack rolls against me have advantage. She's going to roll to attack, uh, and she's, of course, going to be aiming for the heart. 22. Oh, yeah. 12 piercing damage. It is still alive. You do hit it right in that abdomen, but it moves just slightly out of the way. You do have a second attack. Uh, Okay, that's a 15. 
15 hits. Oh! Yes! Okay, all right. Seven damage. That's enough. As the body falls, it does indeed turn to mist, but it just disperses in the wind. Bray, I'm so sorry I ever doubted the fact that you killed the vampire. That was pretty sick. Yeah, see, I'm literally wearing their fangs, Quinry. Like, that would have to be some sort of elaborate jewel. That is the ones who still have not moved yet's turn. They are going to jump off of the wall. The only one they are currently in range of is Jet. Claw attack that is only a 15. So the second claw attack coming Ooh. out is a 25 to hit you, Jet. Okay, yeah. Four slashing damage to you. The other one is also going to come up. This thing, as it's running to get to Jet, it's running on the backs of these seats but all of a sudden it sees that draconic breath weapon and it gets distracted for just a moment as it trips and falls and it tries to slash at Jet. It is prone and will not get its second attack. That is, however, Gideon's turn. Sorry, Quinry. He does know where you were, so he is going to attack Bray because she's closest then. Rude. First attack on Bray is another natural 20, which he's going to waste by using an automatic grapple. Gideon's got me. <laughs> and again, pulls your head a little bit to expose more of that neck and is going to go for another bite. Even with advantage, that's only a 14. Yeah, her her AC is a 16, so. Quinry, you do see that one of these vampires got up and grappled Bray, pulled her head to the side a little bit to try to get that bite in, but missed. So what do you do to either distract it enough or just to like stop it enough from getting that bite off? I, I have a bag of ball bearings, so I'll take a little ball bearing out and just, you see a fork protrude from Bray's back and I fling a little, I catapult a little ball bearing <laughs> We're going to jump back into Sebastian's mind. Sebastian, you have incapacitated Valentine. He has eyes locked on you. It is your turn. So how many of the other vampires have I technically seen, even if it is in just my mind? You have seen them all. Perfect. Running back through my trip with Valentine through the tomb, I remember the name Gideon. I would like to cast my last fifth level spell slot with Rowlethim's Psychic Lance. I don't need visual on him as long as I can call out his name. If the name target is within range, it becomes the spell's target even if I can't see it. So I want to continue. I'll just run it back on Dragula, but be thinking of playing it in front of Gideon's tomb. Inspiration. Hell yeah! Intelligence save of 17. That is a three. Beautiful. Nice. 28 psychic damage. As Gideon, just from the bottom, you see him almost stiffen up, but you see the head start bobbing. The rest of his body is just stiff as a board, and he is now incapacitated. This is not going well for Valentine and the others. And Valentine looks at you, Sebastian staring daggers at you. This is not how it was supposed to happen. You're mine, Sebastian. And you can see his claws almost looks like they're distorting reality around them. You're mine as he points to you. He's casting dominate person. Oh. oh. You need a wisdom saving throw for me. I will even tell you the DC is 18. Eight. You are currently charmed 
by Valentine, this a different way. You act upon every single one of his commands. Present yourself to me. As you start walking forward, you start pulling your shirt down to expose your neck. Oh! We are back to the top of the round inside the circle. That is the last blue vampire. It is currently surrounded by Jet and Quinry. It can't see Quinry. It's going for Jet. This one doesn't get advantage on you. It's going to make a claw attack. That is a 19 to hit you. Yeah, that does. Grapples and then goes for the bite. Even with advantage, I got a natural two and a natural three. Yes. The bite does not go through. That fiery shield you have up almost burns its mouth. And Jet, remember how you rolled me a one last round? Uh Uh-huh. A swarm of bats comes down from the ceiling, filling the entire cylinder. Oh. That's a lot of bats. While this is happening, everyone, including the vampires, has disadvantage on anything that relies on sight. That is last lair action. There is still a lair action this turn. You see that he plays more music. This time, instead, it's just very creepy. It's almost like the Adams Family theme. Plays it slowly and then ramps it up really fast. You feel the stage that's been slowly turning underneath you jolts forward and moves a lot faster. I need deck saves from everyone. Oh, no. Dirty 20. I got a 14. Actually, Quinry, you do not have to do one unless Bray fails. Who, whoever's next to me gets plus two, remember? Eight. So anyone who got less than a 16 falls prone. So that is Bray and Quinry. Xander. Blueberry got 18. Dragon got 23. Quinry, you're up. Xander, you're on deck. Quinry is going to take half his movement to stand up, which is going to suck. I'm not really going to go anywhere. I'm just going to wait and hope that I can either chill next to Bray or she will grab me. I have disadvantage because of the bats. Uh, 15, that's a nat one. You stab at this thing and you accidentally stab a bat and it's not coming off the dagger. It feels like you would have to drop this dagger or get something else if you wanted to attack. That's it for my turn. Xander, you are up. They were all kind of like huddled up around Bray and Jet. Yes, they are all within 20 feet of each other. If I say had something that had a 20, it was a a 20 foot circle, would the only ally that I would hit be Jet? God damn it. You would also hit Quinry. It's it's a dex thing also. So like, you know, Jet would be fine. And Quinry's got incredible dex. So Jet won't be able to see this coming with the bats. Yeah. Oh. Oh, well, he's got more health than all of us. And I'll just heal him next turn or something. Sorry, bro. I can't see. There's too many bats. Um, I'm going to do flame strike in that, that circle there to hit all of them. Ooh. Dex check, please. 18. Two fails, two passes. I got a uh, 22. That one. Oh. Second one in a row. Oh. oh, no. 11 fire damage. So everyone takes 11 or 5 on half. And then 16 radiant damage. Nice. Oh. Only Gideon is left. Xander, after your turn, there's no more bats now. I guess now I'll stand up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, since I'm doing that in that order, can I far step out to Valentine? Jet, you are up and Blueberry are on deck. Jet, I am saying uh, to the dragon, Helper Jet! Telling Jet this, uh, the dragon, her name is Solis. She will um, help you if you want to... Uh, mount? Oh, I could jump up? 
But it would mean it would mean you'd have to if you're not in, within range yet. It would mean you'd have to like wait until she gets she mo- flies to whatever it is. So Jet, you're jumping up onto Solus and holding your action to like make your attacks on Gideon. Yeah, I'm just holding a mighty pose. <gasps> As I'm jumping up, who can I see around me that looks like the most beat up out of my friends? Quinry's pretty fucked. Quinry kind of got half healthed by Xander. <laughs> you have that little health? Oh my god. Where's Quinry hit? I just got radiated, bro. Radiated? So you got some burns? Everywhere, yeah. Okay. I'm scanning the, the battlefield, and as I look and I see you kind of tired, burnt up and everything, you'll see a bunch of these little flickers of flames come down and, and cover your body where you have these burns, and they glow a bright blue, and then they get so bright they turn white, slowly dissipates, and then you can see your skin is healed up a little bit. Ooh. With my bonus action, you can take 2d6 of health. Beautiful. Oh, double sixes, bro. Let's go. Yeah. That's the aura of vitality. I can do that for a bonus action. Blueberry, it is now your turn. What I'm going to do as an earth elemental, I'm a large creature. The glass is 10 feet up. Yes. So I'm just gonna jump in. Slam into the glass. I also have siege monsters, so I deal double damage to objects and structures, so it like super breaks. <laughs> How far am I from either Gideon or Valentine? You are closer to Valentine. Well, I assume I used, I have two slam attacks, so I assume I used one on the glass and I'm gonna use my second on that bitch. You have advantage. Yeah! He is essentially restrained right now. 18 to hit. Very much hits. Yes. Ooh. 19 bludgeoning. Let's go. Smash. His jaw almost immediately dislocates. That's me. Solis is going to, with Jet, fly right up to Gideon and just open its mouth as Jet swings down. Solus flies in and is going to explode the, the radiant light while he swings. Jet, give me an attack roll and I will roll deck save. This is smaller than my mount, so I have advantage. Don't need more than that because I got a nap motherfucking 20. Let's go, boy. Yeah. He did pax his deck save. Okay, well, he'll take half. When it's halved, it's only two radiant. And Jet? 13. Jet, you come down. This radiant blast ignites Gideon as you come down. You're able to sweep in with one large hit, kind of holding your Warhammer really by the lower end. The radiant energy that was already engulfing Gideon when your Warhammer hits, it just ignites it in flame. Well, the dragon still has some fly speed, I assume, because it has 60 foot fly speed and it flew with Jet. So how much does it have enough left to get to Valentine? Not quite. About 10, 15 feet away from Valentine. Well, perfect, because the dragon's reach distance is 10 feet. Beautiful. So I've got two rend attacks for Solis. AC 15 to make things easier. Advantage on each. Ooh! That's a 25 to hit. And a 25 to hit. Ooh, baby. 14 piercing. And 15 piercing. 
Yeah, slash, slash. Bray, it is you now. Up in the area just above you is Valentine, sitting at his piano, surrounded. When I jump, I can make a strength check and extend my jump by a number of feet equal to the check's total. So I think Bray is going to jump, and then I'm going to do a, a strength check. I could go um, up to 24 uh, feet to be on the same platform. She is going to hit uh, him with her claws. You have advantage because he is restrained. 21. That hits. 10 slashing damage, and then I get to... Uh, I'm going to use Infectious Fury on this bitch. So when she when she uh, slashes him, he's going to need to take a, a wisdom saving throw. 19. Fuck, that saves. Bray, I'm going to tell you right now, he's got 8 HP left. Oh. You have advantage on the roll, and 8 HP. Fuck! Okay. 24 to hit. Very much hits. Only 6 damage with the claw? He's on the brink of death. And we're just going to jump back to Sebastian because he has lost concentration on dominate person. Sebastian, you are walking up to him in this space, in your mind, the stage. It is clear he was projecting this audience for you to see. You saw all of the vampires slowly dying. It's just you and Valentine. And he's looking at you and he is exhausted. You can see he has aged a hundred years like nothing. All I wanted was this to last forever and you to join me. You could have been this. I can tell you right now, I don't want to be you. You didn't earn this. Just tried to gather up a bunch of helpless people and force them to like you. No, because I've been trying to get people to like me my entire fucking life. I work for my music. I earn this. That's why you reached out to me anyway, because you like what I did. You had a lifetime to build up what you could have. And look at these seats. Empty. I didn't care what you did before. You were a tool for me. You were here to bring me more so I could live longer and get to experience the luxuries that life had. And you fucked it up. How should I bring you something? And I'm going to take out my crossbow and aim for the heart. You awaken. And you stand up at your piano. And you see him across from you, surrounded by your friends. Go ahead and roll me an attack roll. I'm going to use inspiration. 22. Sebastian, he's yours. Since I snapped out of it, and just not breaking eye contact, like throwback to the Nathrix fight of just deadlocked eyes. I have the crossbow at my side. I push everyone out of the way and just walk straight up, no thoughts, and just shoot. Point blank, the very wooden arrow goes right through the heart. The being before you melts into mist and disperses. <sighs> there are a lot of new faces here right now. Hello. I missed you guys. I will jump down from the dragon 
I'm just gonna run over to Sebastian, give him a big hug, and just start checking him out all over. Like, buddy, you okay? <sighs> are you hurt? Well, what's going on? Where, where are you hurt? Can I heal it? Can I do something to you? What, what, what do you need? What do you need? I'm here to help you. Are you okay? My head kind of hurts. Why is Rob Zombie playing? Uh, and then I slap uh, him in the face and say, don't you ever leave us like that again. You hear me? You think I wanted to? Shut up. You think I wanted to just play piano with some weirdo? Yeah, kind of, yeah. It was kind of sick. Yeah, it was. You did really good. I'm proud of you. <laughs> but not the part where he almost just took over my brain. That was kind of not okay. And not the part where you left us. <sighs> but I love you. And I hug him again. It's like a side hug, and I just sit on into it while I'm staring down at the blank space on the ground. The fangs seem to be left behind, as well as a sending stone, as well as his jacket. You would assume that because it did not get destroyed with the rest of his clothes, that might be magical. Bray has snatched up the 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 teeths. She's going to be messing with them a little bit. As we see the mist waft away, can I gain insight as to whether this mist feels like it's just just dissipating mist or if it is like a, a sentient mist that is leaving? The other vampires, when they died, they had like a smoke trail. You see in this room is a coffin. The mist did not go there. The mist dispersed, just like the other one that was hit with the wooden stake. Can I pick up the sending stone and the jacket from the ground while they're having their, their moment? Yeah, and in your brain, you hear Celeste. Everybody's good. Uh, partygoers are stopped. They're back to their senses. Um, these servers aren't really acting that normal. Like, they're acting like they used to, but one of them attacked a dancer. We're, we're getting everybody outside the manor. Just hurry up. Well, I'm going to turn to Sebastian and say, this is yours, and put the sending stone into his hand. Oh, yeah, he took it. Well, don't and let anyone else do that, you big, silly boy. And I, like, just kind of <laughs> just touch him on the chest, just like, okay. Um, you're missing a jacket, and um, it's like, the to the victor go the spoils, and I'll hand him the jacket, too. Oh, thank God, I've been so cold. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of like adjust my shirt from where I was like tugging on the neck and then whip the new jacket on. Yeah, I was right. You look pretty, pretty fire. This is the dream jacket. Ooh. It is plus one leather armor. Let's go. And you can cast the dream spell once every seven days. What the fuck? It's good to have you back, bro. It's good to be back. I missed you guys. I had chicken tenders. I know. I had one. You got it? I got one. Yes. Oh my gosh. I tried to invite you guys, but he wouldn't let me. And I was like, oh, I know Jet would really want some chicken tenders right now. Yeah, I did. Well, then maybe you should have been faster, bro. I don't know what to say. Hey, uh, is that, um, well, so real quick, we got to get back out there because the, the servers are getting wacky. Um, real quick, Sebastian, uh, this is Quinry. You dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> You're the lad who disappeared on the stage. I tried to save you. You didn't do a good job at it. <laughs> well, that's rude. I know. What are these people doing? Can we just go back to Hazel Rest? 
Bray is also going to take the opportunity. DM, if I may, I like the idea that Bray made uh, Sebastian a little piece of fang jewelry too Ooh. to commemorate him for for killing his first vampire. <laughs> I would love a single earring with a fang. It's very e boy. Yeah, <laughs> a single oh, yeah. earring with a fang. Just one. You you keep the other one. Thank you. This is so freaking cool. Here you go. You know when you kill when you kill your first vamp, especially one as big as this, you might as well remember him. So you can always feel like a feel like a badass. It's a little gross, but you know I I like it. And now I have something to remember you by, Bray. And thanks for thanks for helping uh helping my friends get me back. I was worried. Oh no problem, bud. Um. Yeah, so the servers are attacking people, so we may want to. Yeah, Ooh. let's 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 leave, please, ASAP. The dirt just sort of melts off of me, and after I turn back into an elf, I am far cleaner than I was before because every speck of dirt that was on me is now gone. Blueberry, that's a new one. Yeah, it's nature's bidet right there. <laughs> <laughs> You guys start heading out. Sebastian knows the other secret entrance into this, which he tried to lead you to. So he helps you get out of this basement, but not before you walk through the coffin room. Six of the coffins currently have a misty body in them. Almost like you can see a little bit of facial features. Oh my God, are they reforming? Bray might have kept the stakes with her. So she might she might just be like, all right, let's go. Time to pop your vamp killing cherries. Let's do it. She's going to pass them out. She's going to like, maybe she's going to like help Xander. She's going to like lean over and she's going to hold it. And she's going to be like, help, you know, the awkward movement of helping somebody like, like golf for the first time like that. Just be like, oh, right, like so you're a gonna pool cue. Yourself, the romance right? trope. That's such a, that's a move. Like that's the romance trope. Like. The romance trope, but it's actually just totally uh, not self-aware werewolf being like, all right, so you're going to lean over. Right? There you go. Get a good grip on it. Okay? Okay? He might scream. That means you did it good. Okay? Golly, out of context, bro. That's the... All right, here we go. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> She's going to be like, all right. Ready? Now three. You're going to want to hit it real good. Real good. Two. One. Get yeah. It is surprisingly easy. This is seconds after they started to reform. They're still very misty. The only thing that really is there is the heart. It's kind of what stays most intact. Damn, I feel strong as hell. That was easy. That was so easy. Sebastian will refrain. I'd rather not. <laughs> but I understand these are these guys already died. So like I understand. Like we need to end it. I'd rather not either. But I f I feel as if this one is the one that Quinry should take care of, and I'll point towards uh, Gideon's. Bray's gonna look at Quinry and say, "Do you want me to do it, bad?" Oh, no, it's going to hurt like a bitch, but I'll get it over with. If you want him to, to rest easy. Yes, it's what he deserves. He was a good kid. You're still taking care of him, Quinn. Oh. Lean over, not even really look. Just find the spot, turn, and push. Rest easy, my friend. You guys head out of the basement. You go to the foyer. In the foyer is Celeste with rounded up about a dozen of these servers all sitting against the wall. She's got her crossbow out pointed at them. Finally, I don't know what's wrong with them. They're, they're acting normal, but then they say they're hungry 
They tried to attack the dancers. And then the instant they got outside, they started to like burn. I, I don't I don't know what's wrong with them. I'm I'm gonna go over and talk to one of the servers, like, hey, can I can you smile real big for me real quick? Not really a smiling occasion, but yeah. And then I take a picture. Because look, and then I show the camera and it's And it's just the wall. <gasps> vampires don't show up in, in images and we got a whole crew of vampires here. What? Who No, 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 no. We're just we're just we were just servers. We're fine. So what do we do with these guys then? How many are there? You see Celeste pulls out. She has like this silver pocket watch and she reflects it. So she's almost using it like as a mirror. Her eyes go wide as she can see that she cannot see them. We'll say there's a dozen. Maybe I'm going to get to burn a place down after all, bitches. They're not bloodthirsty. At least not like vampires normally are. They they're hunger for it, but they're not attacking us. Listen, I, it's not like I want this. I'm not I'm not going to just go killing people like then we'll just leave them in the castle and the, they can What if they they make their way out? We were just here for months. <sighs> we can't just live here the rest of our lives. It's big. They're just people. We need we need a solution. I mean, I've got one, but you're not going to like it, Rad. Right. How about this? If we leave them alive, I'll let you burn the manor. <gasps> I got a suggestion, perhaps. It's not ideal for them because, like, they're still kind of people and they have opinions and stuff. But, like, can we suggest, like, just a relocation for you guys? Like, maybe go to, like, Burndarium or something? That is really dark. It's dark. It's safe. It's away from people. Sun won't get down there. But what are they going to eat? Is vampirism technically a disease? Not Valentine's. But these people are essentially vampire spawn of Valentine, which is why they are not blood crazed. So yes, I will say that in this case, he has infested them with the disease, but his was granted elsewhere. I will go up to one of them, just without saying anything, just put my hand on, on the one that's closest to me, on their heart, and feel for their heartbeat. It's very slow, it's very faint, and you can feel that their bodies are a little cold. Feeling that, I'm just going to give a quick but hard shove. Oh, fuck! As I do that, I'm casting Lesser Restoration. <coughs> oh my god, I'm hungry. Hungry for what? I could use, like, bread. <sighs> I can see him. There's one down, Jack. Good job! Okay, I, I help with the rest of the Lesser Restorations. You guys are able to spread the love. There's two or three left. From that, you hear a voice from outside. It's kind of gruff. It's something Quinry and Bray, you recognize it as Umtar. Are they fixed yet? You're fixed, I see. You picked a tortoise. It worked, didn't it? At least a lizard. Come on. You didn't seem to mind at the time, Umtar. Come here. Give me a hug, Umi. Are these better yet? Working on the last one. Umtar actually has this ability, so he also gives the lesser restoration to the last few that you guys were not able to do. All right, let's get back to Hazel Rest and Bray. Here. It's a tinderbox. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's going to look over to Quinry and she's going to be like, you want to raid it? You want to raid the silverware? Y'all want to loot this place? Because once I'm done, once I'm done, hoo. I've got plenty. Just like this bitch. Okay. All right. She's going to wait for y'all to, to head out. 
and um, she's gonna light it on fire, sprint, and um, look and behold her work as the flames like wrap around the manor. And it starts coming out all of the windows. One area actually seems to like ignite a lot faster. It's probably where they like stored the wine and the liquor, like all that alcohol that, and that's really what just sets this whole place ablaze. She is just laughing with utter glee. I wanted everything that Valentine had built to be forgotten. And this is the last way to really spit on that fucker's grieve. Also, I don't want anybody to ever get to use that that gross, gross room with all the torture stuff ever again. There's no way I'm letting them find those books and stuff. You guys help move these civilians. They are exhausted. They're very much themselves. You hear people swearing, all pissed off, like so confused. You hear Celeste announce they'll have a town meeting about what happened, that everything's going to be fine. Umtar gives you all thanks. And you guys kind of help gather people around into their housing, make sure everyone has food. Takes the rest of the day to do so. Celeste does put you up for the night at a small building at the edge of town so that right in the morning you can get up and go. Celeste walks up to you, Sebastian. As they're saying your goodbyes, it's just her, Theodore, and Bray here as they set you up for the night. We have a lot to deal with here, but I knew it. I guess your dreams were right. You saved Hazelrest. I hope you got something out of it, too. You can at least sleep easy knowing that won't happen again and that you saved this entire village of people. I hope you guys uh, are able to rebuild. I hope you didn't lose too many. And This is a cute little town. I know you guys will do great here. We will power through. She kind of looks at you for a second, close her eyes. May I? Stretches out her hands for a hug. Sure, why not? She's a very strong-willed person, but doesn't seem like that touchy or feely. This feels a lot from her. Bray, you've never seen her hug anyone. Thank you, Sebastian. The boy of my dreams. Oh, Rad. Boy of your nightmares. Don't forget it. Yes. Bray will leave you to say your goodbyes. Quinry, are you here? Or have you said your goodbyes elsewhere? Eh, he would have let. He probably wouldn't have even said goodbye. <laughs> ah, good old Irish goodbye. Yeah, he probably would have Irish goodbye, y'all. And then he would have just stayed with the swarm of people kind of revisiting their old home. Once Celeste is out of the room and the rest of them are out of the room, she's going to pull out a flesh-bound book. And I think she's going to hand it to maybe Xander and be like, I don't want Red using this ever again, and I want it out of the town, frankly. And I think if anybody could make it work, it would be you guys. Well, good job out there. I hope that whatever you're trying to do, you do it one day. Just like you got to light the castle on fire. I hope one day you get to light your own castle on fire. (laughs) (laughs) She's not the type to hug. I think she awkwardly gives Xander a look of like... Now, if you'll excuse us, I do have one more question about the doornuts. And she's going to, like, gesture Frida to, to, to follow and leave the room if that's okay. She's going to have one last moment with Xander. One of the biggest secrets about, uh, you know, being able to, to deal with being a lycanthrope is don't be scared of the wolf. The wolf isn't good or bad. It's just an animal, you know? And you get control over it when you're not trying to control it, right? 
don't don't try to keep it hidden. Don't try to keep it in because the more you push it down, the angrier it's going to get when it comes out. Once you make peace with that with that wolf, with that animal inside of you, that's when it makes peace with you too, bud. It's going to be a pain in the ass and it's going to take a lot of practice, you know, and it's going to be annoying as fuck because that fucker woo does not like making friends, but I think you can do it. And when you do, uh, just know that from afar, I'm proud of you. And she's gonna pat you on the back. And be careful with that fucking book, okay? I gave it to you, you can choose to read it, but if you're gonna read it, don't be- don't be dumb. Don't be dumb, I love Red, but what the fuck was that? Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Bray. I appreciate everything you've done. And I think she's going to go back and she's gonna say goodbye like five or six times while hanging slightly out of the door on her way out. Or as we in the Midwest call it, the Midwestern goodbye. So her goodbye probably lasts for like 10 minutes, but they keep adding stuff. Until eventually, she, uh, she heads out. Oh, wait, 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 real quick. I know you hate this, but smile real quick. And, and he's gonna try and pull everyone in for, like, extended group picture with, with everyone. She's gonna just look confused. I do love the idea that her face is, like, almost blurry in the photo, because she's, like... <laughs> yeah, she's, like, looking <laughs> around. Confused like, and looking I around. Don't know, I don't know where to look. <laughs> Snap. Picture taken. And I think the last thing you see of her is out the window. She kind of does like a salute at you. And she turns into a werewolf and she just runs off into the woods. And just as you're going to bed for the night, you hear a loud howl. And for today, that's a wrap. Yeah! Oh, Thank you, Maisie, for being here. This was an absolutely super fun arc. I, I couldn't have asked for anyone better to be here. So thank you so much. Aww. Thank you so much for having me. You have a delightful fucking group here. Tell the people what you do, what where they can find you. Thank you so much. Uh, you're going to be able to find me, uh, Maisie Linney, on Instagram, TikTok, I believe it's Maisie Linney. If you type in Wiscosi into Google, my face pops up, which is one of the uh, crowning achievements of my life. Um, I'm also on Twitch. I'm trying to build up my Twitch. I believe that my Twitch is Maisie Linney. And then also, if you like me playing D&D, you want to see me play a, a demon dommy mommy and a uh, socially awkward, anxious cleric that she's possessing, tune into the Dark Dominion on mm -hmm. uh, twitch.tv slash 5% chance or listen to it on Dumpstat Podcast. Hell yeah. Thank you all so much. I've had a complete and utter blast. Thank you for letting me play with y'all. Thank you for coming. Thank you all so, so much for listening. We have our behind the scenes coming out next week. That is patreon.com slash cast party where you can get access to that as well as tons of other bonus content, access to our exclusive Discord, which is just a blasty blast for all of you here. Uh, it's an amazing D&D community, so come join it. Thank you all for being here. It's our This is one of our last times playing for the end of the year, so we had a wonderful 2022, so thank you all so much. And uh, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, bye. 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 Oh. Oh. That's 36 right there, buddy. Jesus, how'd you- Oh my god! I don't think we have pass. You don't have a plus 10. Yeah, there's no- Yeah, we don't We don't have pass. You don't have pass without trace, so you don't have plus 10. So I don't think you could get a 36. What? What? Wait. What? What? Quinry has- I'm- What? Excuse me? What? <laughs> What is happening? <laughs> what is <laughs> Nigel? Well, I'm so confused. I said 16.
I think you said 36. You said 36, Nigel. Because he said he rolled four nines. I said, that's 36, baby. Oh. Oh. Jeez. Oh. Oh. I was like, what the fuck? Catch up, guys. Come on. I got two eights. Mm. Mm. That's 16, 16, baby. baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> we are so close to Hazelrest being back to normal. Let's get in an orderly line, folks. We have to get you checked in to know who is here. Saint E. Love. Yes, yes, your house is ready for you. I do believe a possum has taken up residence in your guest room, though. I named him Eric Five. Since he has a name, you can't get rid of him. Yes, that's the rules. Sorry about that. Ebab Flow, yes, your house was a little hard to get into. Uh, we are not sure what you left in there before heading to the party, but, well, I just couldn't bear the smell. You'll have to figure it out. Wartor Knight, a wondrous sight indeed. Yes, about your house. Bray got to it, so it is little more than cinders at this point. Yes, it's okay. We will have somewhere new for you to stay. Ah, Jeski Fire, good to see you. You are a fan of rats, right? No? Oh, well, I may have some bad news for you. Ash, there you are. Been waiting to see my favorite dance partner. Oh, no dancing. Too soon? Okay, another time then. New York, hello. Your home is ready, but there's a terrible creature in there that we couldn't get close to. You might need to get Umtar to help get you rid... Oh, what now? Your pet? Dubwood the Demon Spider Monkey. Never heard of that breed. Well, okay then. Lord Asselberg, your house is cleaned and proper, though I must ask, why have only one bedroom but six bathrooms? It seems a little excessive, don't you think? Ishuik, I have the same problem with you, but this is much worse. Six bedrooms for just you, and you don't even have a bathroom. Ah, a bucket out back. Vile. Jeff the Milkman, someone with class, honor, your house was pristine. Almost too pristine. Like no one has ever lived there. No sign of anyone using it ever. Lexi, could you please do me a favor? I know you just got back to town, but you do still remember how to make the fudge walnut brownies, right? Well, I have... Wait, where are you going? Maybe tomorrow, then? Forerunner, thank you so much. I needed a break. Could you please look after the rest of the villagers, make sure they get to their homes? I need a drink. Ah, Frankie, great to see you behind the old bar again. I will have whatever you have available. Only old juice that has fermented? That's fine. Wow, it is rowdy in here. I guess dancing forever in your mind will get to you. Polyamorous swirl? I half expect you to polyamorous hurl. <laughs> Not my best work, but I do find myself delightful. Red Mafia Panda, just because it is juice doesn't mean you can drink that whole thing. It's fermented and oh, oh, they finished it. Base Drop, will you be looking after them? Please, I can't be responsible for someone right now. Oh, you also had a bottle. Wonderful. Opti, can you please make sure they each get home safe? Oh, you can't walk anymore. Legs too tired from the six months of dancing. That kind of makes sense, I guess. All right, rooms for everyone in the inn, then.